Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the Georgia election following Brent. Wow, that's great. And that's like a throwback because remember, I used to always just add in my own hyphenated um, adjectives there. So thank you. Exactly. So <laughs> I am I'm going your kind of sellout route yeah. uh, because the the Georgia Senate races are going on today. I feel it's an important time to and do they're it. Close. Very close. It looks like people are saying it's leaning Lean uh, to, to Warnock and uh, Ossoff winning. That'd be pretty cool. That would be great. Uh, but we will, you know, tomorrow we'll know if I have to cut this part out <laughs> of the podcast so we don't look like fools or we look like prophets, you know, either, either way. But besides that, we do have a few announcements. One, we really enjoyed the movie stream we did last yeah, Saturday. We streamed the cross and the switchblade or is it the switchblade and the cross i think I it's the cross remember. and the switchblade you want to put the cross, cross first switchblade I always put the cross first eric estrada's first movie role yeah uh, where he played a, a gang member and pat boone played a pentecostal preacher who was able to communicate with these rough youths yeah and it was really fun we did that on discord and that is going to be part of our now monthly streaming program so we're going to do it uh, next in February. So the next live stream will be Saturday, February 6th. That'll be 5 p.m. Pacific time and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will be on YouTube. So we will be going back to doing a regular YouTube live stream. And then after about an hour, we'll be heading to the Discord and we will be doing a nice, smooth movie live stream. And uh, it's going to be delightful. Oh, yeah. And uh, you can find out more information about that. You can also uh, join our Patreon. Uh, we are on Discord. We love, we got a bunch of new people who have yeah, uh, entered our Discord and we love to see it. We would love if you join us. You can find out information about all that and the Saturday, February 6th live stream at nonedarecallitordinary.com. And now I get to uh, put on my finest Brent impersonation. <coughs> So, what are we talking about today, Brent? Well, thanks for asking, Dylan. Today, we are talking about the actual science textbook I had in my ninth grade science class. That's right, mm -hmm. science class. So, um, I did put textbook in quotes in the outline. No one can see that, but... Yeah, no, science, it's, it's funny because science isn't science in Science isn't in quotes, but which probably should be. it's the textbook part. That's the part that we gotta, <laughs> ooh, gotta be sarcastic about. Right. Uh, the title of the textbook is called Science of the Physical Creation in Christian Perspective by DeWitt Steele and Gregory Parker. Again, DeWitt Steele sounds like somebody who should be writing like vampire themed romance thrillers. That right. is an incredible name. It's an amazing name. Yeah. And really I got to say, uh, this is something we've been planning for a while. One of the things that we learned on our Patreon poll, uh, we've gotten some you know folks who aren't that into when we cover like Christian stuff. And we're starting 2021 with, exactly. with a Christian thing. Christian Although this is primarily the pseudoscience side of things more so than Christian doctrine. But we aren't just ignoring the poll. We want to let people know. Oh, right yeah, definitely. Time. Yeah, this is just one we had. I had. I personally had to get off my chest. So this is a this is a fun one for me. Yeah, so you got to you know, you gotta be. This is we're going back to your roots. Yeah, going, going back, back to your me. unusual, unorthodox, unsettling roots. Exactly. So for first time, I mean, if you haven't heard, I, I did. I grew up in a evangelical Christian 
uh, home basically and went to a church slash school. So basically the, the same building that the church was in was also my school all the way up through high school. So yeah, so this was my ninth grade book. All right, so first let's discuss the company that puts out these textbooks, a company called Abeka Books. Dr. Arlen Horton and his wife, Becca, started a Christian school in Pensacola, Florida in 1954. However, according to their website, quote, they soon discovered a problem. Textbooks and curriculum based on biblical educational philosophy were starting to disappear. At that moment, they knew what they had to do. They had to produce their own educational materials to satisfy the religious indoctrination over education approach to teaching. So that's... <laughs> I got to say, you know, even though they are working hard to misinform children, I do appreciate the can-do spirit. They didn't just (laughs) accept that the secular powers that be were were kind of pumping out science textbooks. They were like, no, we are going to stand and make our own textbooks. Yeah, it's very entrepreneurial of them. I love it. So other Christian schools took notice and started to purchase the Abeka book materials. So as I just mentioned, they, they say on the website that they were, there were no publishers that existed of curriculums based on biblical educational philosophy. Well, what I find confusing, though, is they also say on their website, quote, what started with phonics-based readers and traditional arithmetic textbooks has now grown to comprise over a thousand educational products from nursery through 12th grade, all written by educators with real teaching experience. Okay, so they just started off with just phonics-based readers and traditional textbooks, I guess? I don't, were, there, were there just too many non-Christian arithmetic and phonics books out there that they just needed some, some more godly curriculums out there? I don't know. It's confusing to me. See, see, the problem is this is about your experience mm-hmm. kind of going, not going to a public school. Right. Um, because I went to a normal public school. I don't think you realize how blasphemous our, <laughs> our you know, kind of just a public school uh, arithmetic oh. books were. Okay. I mean, I remember some of the word problems we had. So here was, if I remember correctly, it was something like if Johnny aborted three babies and Alice aborted two babies, how many babies did they abort in total? So that's the kind of, th- those are the kind of word problems we had. And then I, if I also remember, um, you know, we also had uh, like the phonics books too. Yeah. Uh, the one book in particular was fun with Dick and Sam Hain. Oh, wow. I did. I, I was unaware of this. Wow. That is intense. So, so how did these two Christian lovebirds meet? Well, where else but one of our favorite clown colleges, if you've listened to our, our uh, clown college series, Bob Jones University. Yes, so, wonderful. And just, and just a quick reminder in case you haven't listened to that episode in a while, Bob Jones did not admit any black students until 1971. That would be 17 years after Brown v. Board of Education. So that's um, And it gets worse because they explicitly rejected federal funding in order to do <sighs> right. so. You know, that's how powerful racism is. You will reject free money. In 1951, Arlen and Becca both graduated from the university. And then in 1974, the Hortons founded Pensacola Christian College. This college had 100 students its first year and was based out of a single building named Ballard Hall, which is not to be confused with Billard Hall, which was an actual local dive bar, I think, nearby. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. And I'm pretty sure I assume Billiards is banned. From Pensacola Christian College. No dancing, music, or billiards. Right, yeah. In 1988, Pensacola Christian College then gave birth to its graduate school, Pensacola Theological Seminary. The seminary's purpose is to, quote, fill each student's mind and heart with what the Bible says. On the Abeka website, they list out what they believe. Quote, 
we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days and that God created all life, Genesis 1. We reject the man-made theory of evolution occurring over millions of years. We believe that God created man and woman in his own image and instituted marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. Genesis 2, 18 through 24. You know, I got to say, they're getting really ahead of, of themselves. They, they yeah. definitely are taking on the trans rights yes. um, you know, the position. Uh, so yeah. they're definitely, you know, they're, they're updating. Don't tell, don't tell me they're not modern. They're right. updating uh, their bigotry. I like how this is one thing because they have a bunch of we believes yeah. on the website about, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, and this one, they got we got to get the creationism and mm-hmm. the homophobia, transphobia that that that's one tenet of faith. Those right. are really yeah. deeply connected. It's a bit of a combo. About. Also, I understand if you take Genesis literally, like yeah. I get I get saying that I think it's literally true, whatever. But I like created the heavens in six literal days. Like what's what's a literal day as opposed to a metaphorical day? Yeah. And like, also, a, like a day on Neptune is like 165 right. <laughs> years or something. But I, I think that's not a literal day. Also, like what? I mean, like I love the man-made theory of evolution. Like what? I mean, obviously. And before we dig into our own specific Abeka creation science textbook, let's get a taste of what they're all about. From their website under subject distinctives, which is science slash health subject, it says, quote, the Abeka Science and Health Program presents the universe as the direct, orderly, law-abiding creation of God and refutes the man-made idea of evolution. There it is again. Students are equipped to explore science from a biblical worldview while developing practical use of the scientific method and application of critical thinking skills. We'll need those critical thinking skills because we're about to dive in. So let's just do it. All right. Here we go. So the introduction to the book, starting with this wonderful quote. What causes thunderstorms? What kinds of creatures live in the depths of the sea? What are atoms made of? And how do living cells function? What clues to the Earth's past are found in its rocks? What makes a rocket move? What is sound? How do lasers and computers work? All these questions fall under the domain of physical science, the systematic study of God's physical creation and how it works. You know, I I actually think there's a lot of good in this paragraph Mm -hmm. because we could cut out a lot of administrative baloney at universities if we just replaced the physics, chemistry, biology, geology, meteorology, engineering, computer science and optics departments with the one big department of physical (laughs) science. We don't need... All these administrators, you know, taking so all the true. money, getting yeah. cushy jobs, just right. smoosh it all, just get like thousands yeah. of professors just in one building. All right. So in this series, we won't cover every single topic mentioned here. Obviously, we are limiting it only to the portions that go explicitly Christian. There is a lot of this textbook that is just uncontroversial standard scientific information on basic things like, you know, electricity, oceanography, physics, chemistry, et cetera. The boring stuff. We right. Don't, exactly. Who cares? I mean, it is a little difficult to present semiconductor electronics from a Christian perspective, though. I'm not saying that that textbook doesn't absolutely need to be written. If you can create an entire engineering textbook on how to build a UFO, you surely can make that one, I think. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Someone's smart enough. I'm, I'm waiting. Someone will figure it out. Come on, Paul. Uh, I think this is just smart marketing on their part. Yeah. I mean, so they could have written a smaller and cheaper kind of Christian science textbook with just the Christian bits. But 
you know, why not just combine the normal and the quote unquote Christian science into one more expensive textbook? It's savvy, yes. savvy marketing. Absolutely. So under chapter two, the atmosphere, we dive into our first controversy, the hole in the ozone. Do you remember that? Hope? Yeah, actually, this, this is kind of a blast from the past. I feel like we don't talk yeah. about this all that much. So, OK, this section starts off with, quote, in the late 1980s, a few scientists and environmentalists announced the discovery of a hole. And that's in quotes in the ozone layer over the South Pole. The environmentalists claimed that it was caused by a worldwide depletion of the ozone layer and predicted drastic increases in UV radiation. They blamed the depletion on man-made chemicals called chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, such as the well-known refrigerants called freons and fire-extinguishing gases known as halons. But I, I actually just like how the environmentalists, but not the scientists, said this ozone hole was caused by CFCs. Oh, yeah. This whole thing is not very scientific then, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, so the scientists, their role, they just point to the sky and say, there's a hole up there. Right. They don't tell you why right. it happened. That's not their job. <laughs> they just point and say, there it is. Also, Typical uh, scientist. fun fact from my childhood is the first brand of asthma inhaler I use was banned because it contained CFCs. Oh. A little known fact. The environmentalists continue with their deep-seated hatred of hair products, as I mentioned, by, quote, calling for a worldwide ban on CFCs, warning that millions of people would die if drastic actions were not taken. In response to their outcry, world leaders, including British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and President George Bush, ah, oh, the good days, <sighs> hastily signed the Montreal-London Protocol. So what exactly is this evil Montreal Protocol, if you don't remember? Well, according to the U.S. Department of State, Quote, the Montreal Protocol finalized in 1987 is a global agreement to protect the stratospheric ozone layer by phasing out the production and consumption of ozone-depleting substances, ODS. The Montreal Protocol has proven to be innovative and successful and is the first treaty to achieve universal ratification by all countries in the world. Wow. So in other words, it was basically a complete success. Man, so, that is the opposite. That's horrible. I got to say also, you know, drastic action. They were yeah. calling for drastic action. Drastic. Of telling folks, hey, maybe like don't put this in your hairspray. Yeah, we, absolutely. I don't, I don't know if you know this. Tyranny. I don't know if you Globalism. know this. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you know this. Uh, some important facts is that asthma inhalers, hairspray, and refrigerators still exist somehow. Oh so my I God. have a feeling uh, that this maybe wasn't as drastic as they're suggesting. Okay, so no one listening to this is here for the success stories, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, we want the nonsense. Well, good news. More is heading your way. Quote, unfortunately, there is yet no good substitute for these chemicals. Proposed replacements are either toxic, flammable, or expensive. Mm. The authors make sure we understand that the hole in the ozone was first discovered in 1956 before CFCs came into widespread use. Mm, yeah. They also conveniently forget that science is ever-changing when new evidence surfaces, stating that the scientist Dr. Gordon Dobson, who first discovered the hole in the ozone, concluded that it was just a natural phenomenon. See, this is the physical sciences adoption of the principle first draft, best draft. Yeah. You know, if it was good enough for Jack Kerouac, it's good enough for studying the atmosphere. I feel right. the same. Or like Breitbart or principles. something that we learned. All right. So keep it with that same theme. 
of not the first thing we discover about something is the final say in the matter. The textbook says, quote, scientists who studied the hole in the 1950s concluded that it is caused by an Antarctic high altitude weather phenomenon called the polar vortex. Yeah, Antarctica is just spraying hairspray just constantly. The authors then trash the naming of the ozone hole by saying, quote, the hole is not a hole. Mm. So let that sink in. Rather, it's actually a thinning of ozone in the layer. So, hey, the, you know, the ozone hole is not a hole. This Christian textbook is not a textbook. What are we going to do? You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you know, so, not everything that's called a thing is a thing. <laughs> I think that's that's ah, true. That should just been the name of this uh, episode. But despite the name of this being wrong and first assumptions about things always being the only correct data we can use, we find out all sorts of damning evidence against this whole ozone hole conspiracy, such as, quote, worldwide ozone levels are actually increasing. Man's production of chlorine containing compounds is significant compared to nature's. The worst case ozone depletion scenarios of the environmentalists are insignificant compared to daily variations due to changes in weather, solar activity, and latitude. Boom. So, in, in, yeah. I mean, okay. So, in all seriousness, I have to say, against all this, um, you have to think, you have to be completely naive to think that each one of these factors isn't something that scientists who study our atmosphere, you know, for their entire career haven't already taken into account. It kind of it seriously does remind me sort of of the like the global warming deniers. Like, what about the natural solar phenomenon or past heating events or whatever? It's like these things are already accounted for by the climate scientists. Like this is they're not amateurs. Come on. I just I imagine, you know, if you're in a house and you crank as someone cranks up the heat way too much and you complain and, you know, the response is like, like well, look, like the sun is contributing way more <laughs> to how hot it is in this house than this heater than this man-made so device. True. So why are you yeah. complaining? Right. It's like, yeah, but it's the little bit that you're contributing <laughs> is what's taking me over the right. edge. I'm sweating my That's balls the, off. Yeah. Can you please turn down the heater? Okay, so in the end, the authors say, quote, the Montreal-London protocol seems to have been based on hysteria, faulty science, and hasty conclusions. Unfortunately, we are now stuck with its consequences. I had to switch inhalers and I was pissed. Yeah, exactly. What are these horrifying consequences that the Montreal protocol stuck us with, you might ask? Well, according to an article on Newsweek titled NASA Hole in Earth's Ozone Layer Finally Closing Up Because Humans Did Something About It, <laughs> quote, the study published Thursday in Geophysical Re Research Letters reveals that a decline in ozone depleting chemicals has resulted in 20% less depletion since 2005. Specifically, chlorine levels declined by 0.8% each year between 2005 to 2016. This is actually a pretty common phenomenon that when humans get together, and actually managed to coordinate to solve a problem, that leads many to believe that there just wasn't a problem in the first place. Right. Another good example of this is Y2K. Yeah. People make fun of like Y2K, like, oh, it was overblown. No, it was a serious problem that we all solved. Yeah, exactly. But, right. But, you know, it's like, a, you know, it was the computer nerds who solved it. And so, you know, they didn't get, no one cares about that. Right, exactly. So back to the textbook. The section ends by getting to what's really important in any good science textbook. Quote, we are responsible to be good stewards of the planet that God has given us. And being good stewards means taking care of our environment. However, our decisions should be based not on panic and hasty judgment, but on sound science and common sense. That's in bold. This, so. this is totally right. Hasty generalizations, hasty conclusions, hasty judgments are really bad. And you know how we avoid hasty judgments? 
by simply accepting the very first scientific explanation <laughs> we can come up with. That is how you yes. avoid hasty judgments. All right. So on to the next controversy. It's going to be global warming fact or fantasy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, thankfully, just like the ozone layer, we solved this problem. In this section, young, impressionable kids are introduced to carbon dioxide and how it has been getting so much attention lately due to it being a greenhouse gas and all. However, quote, all scientific evidence gathered indicates that there is no danger of a global warming disaster. Also, Dylan, did you know that, quote, nature contributes about 200 billion tons of CO2 into the atmosphere annually, while mankind contributes another 7 billion tons, 3.5% of the total. Oh, that's nothing. That's tiny. Right, it's nothing. Yeah. Of course, the crucial component being left out of this is that damn fact that scientists are actually good at their day jobs. No. In fact, it may shock some of our listeners, but climate scientists know the amount of CO2 being released into the air by natural cycles. And oddly enough, that is taken into account when constructing climate models. No way. So just honestly, though, keep that in mind, because that's the theme throughout this pretty much this entire book. <laughs> it's it's as if these scientists are amateurs and don't take into account any of these variables. They do. So, yeah. And, and also, like, even apart from that, this kind of, you know, we we just talked about this with the ozone layer. Yeah, it's just a we have a cliche, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, that's been part of our discourse for a long time. The idea that a small additional change can be the difference can be the tipping point for something happening. Right. So just because we're contributing kind of a tiny amount, uh, that doesn't mean that it's not bad. Right. And it's not like one or the, it's not like we're not, we shouldn't be like, you know, natural cycles versus humans. Which one is more? It's like, that's not the way to think of this. Like, come on. Clearly we should just, we should be doing more than the natural cycles. I feel that's really (laughs) what I get out of this. Like, fuck (laughs) nature. I want humans doing 400 billion a year. That's what I want. So skepticalscience.com points out an important counter to all of this from this textbook, quote, man-made CO2 in the atmosphere has increased by a third since pre-industrial era, creating an artificial forcing of global temperatures, which is warming the planet. While fossil fuel derived CO2 is a very small component of the global carbon cycle, the extra CO2 is cumulative because the natural carbon exchange cannot absorb all the additional CO2. The level of atmospheric CO2 is building up. The additional CO2 is being produced by burning fossil fuels, and that buildup is accelerating. That's that's the key, the acceleration. So the authors of the creationist textbook label these, quote, radical warnings started in the 1980s by environmentalists. (sighs) Yeah, exactly. Quote, they claim that the rising levels of CO2 in the atmosphere would enhance the greenhouse effect, raising temperatures around the world. Melting ice at the poles and the expansion of heated seawater would raise sea levels several feet. Flooding coastal areas, scorching heat, and severe drought would turn much farmland into deserts. Crops would fail and millions of people, animals, and plants would die. So basically everything we know to be true in 2020. Yeah, so that's, um, that's up to date. I what think. Yeah. I love Thank about you. this is that normally, you know, kind of the, the typical like contemporary conservative response would be, Oh, the global warming people, they think every human being is going to die and the earth is literally going to turn into a fireball. And they, you know, they spin out what the actual like consequences are supposed to be Um, where this is a very sensible description 
yeah. I feel, of yeah. what the <laughs> climate change scientists think is going to happen. Very right. sensible. And they're like, this is madness. <laughs> this is in, this is the insane thing. Or now, <laughs> you know, we know that's happening. So they have to even ramp it up more. Yeah. Like how insane uh, we think. <laughs> The consequences are going to be that literally uh, Earth is going to turn into hell. Literally, <laughs> it's going to be a lake of fire. But this is actually very sensible. In direct opposition to, I didn't see this coming, but I have to say, in direct opposition to Matthew nineteen twenty one, which states, quote, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Unfortunately, the authors of this textbook write, quote, many environmentalists have called for industrialized nations to redistribute their wealth to third world countries. Oh, man. Actually, I forgot. Jesus only wants us to sell our possessions and redistribute to the poor at an individual level. God prefers nations to only look after themselves, I think. Yeah, that's That's, exactly uh, right. Before you when you sell your possessions. Before you give it to the poor, you always got to look at their ID first. You got to make yes. sure they have a passport, that they're a citizen. Then this creationist science textbook goes full libertarian, saying, quote, some politicians have used the global warming issue to increase federal and international government control of private property and to promote global authority at the expense of national sovereignty. This, I mean, you know, I have to say this is actually true because nothing erodes national sovereignty like nations deciding to make treaties with other nations that is that has been eroding national sovereignty since the beginning of nation states you know all the evidence the climate scientists across the world have been showing us for years well it's all wrong because quote a closer look at the issue reveals a surprising lack of evidence for a global crisis Uh, i have to say kind of the i think they made a rhetorical mistake here Hmm. because it's not a good look to tell the reader that global warming would entail that your whole political ideology is wrong and then (laughs) argue it's a hoax that's kind of that's putting the cart before the hoax yes you want to here's all the evidence that global warming isn't happening and then you say oh and by the way uh environmentals environmentalists are evil globo fascists who want to you know take your national sovereignty (laughs) that's the correct order i think they could have used the second draft on this one Oh, and a, clo- and a closer look basically means saying this sentence, but putting it in italics and bold lettering. So let's Ooh, keep serious. that in mind. Yeah. Quote, Earth's average temperatures tend to fluctuate over long term cycles. Earth has been considerably warmer in the past than it is now, mm. which is this is probably the gold standard of whataboutism. It's like an old one, which, you know, stood the test of time for some dumb reason. I'm not sure. Yeah. Global warming. What about the Hadean era? (laughs) Checkmate atheist. Yeah, seriously. You're telling me it's hotter than when the earth was being showered with (laughs) asteroids over 500 million years ago. (laughs) I think not. So as with any good science textbook, you definitely want to make sure to use the colloquial definition of the world theory when discussing science, I think. Quote, the predictions of global warming are based on theory alone. So it's a, this is almost over because they end this section rehashing old points about man's contribution to greenhouse gases as nothing compared to nature's. And we learned that maybe increasing CO2 isn't such a bad thing after all. Oh. Since, quote, most plants grow better with higher concentrations of CO2. Gotcha. Which 
I, I actually always hated this argument. Like if you, if you want to shit all over tree hugging hippies and show how alpha and top of the food chain we are, you don't want to make an argument that more vegetation on Mother Earth is a good thing. Please, please spare me. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's, so uh, no. it's funny because this is actually one of my um, resolutions for 2021 nice. is to only eat a carnivore diet. Oh, good. Right. That's I've adopted. I, I eat the carnivore diet now. And the reason actually is I want to. Because meat production produces a lot of CO2. Yeah. Uh, well, well, a lot of methane, a lot of greenhouse definitely, gases. Definitely. And so the more the more meat I eat, the more greenhouse gases are produced. Nice. The Good more vegetables can be produced uh, and the cheaper a vegan diet will be. I'm trying oh. to promote <laughs> vegan diets in a very indirect way. I'm doing it for them. Very indirect. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, if we should be promoting plant growth... What better way than to eat only meat? Ultimately, the greenhouse gas effect is all just chemistry, but we're here for the theology, let's be honest. So the authors end with, quote, As Christians, we can rest in God's promise that while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat in summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Genesis 8.22 While it is our responsibility to do all within our power to protect the world God has given us, we must always remember that the fate of the earth rests in the hands of the creator. Mm. So we must protect the world by not bothering to protect the world because it's in God's hands. It's got it. All right. I don't. Yeah. Same reason sure you don't lock that. your doors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in God's hand. But I mean, also, uh, you know, what I don't get here is that all of those things that they've mentioned from scripture from Genesis mm. are totally compatible with global warming. Right. Like you're still going to have cold and heat summer, winter, all day and night shall not cease. Yeah. Uh, the earth's going to remain. Uh, sea time and harvest is going to be a little trickier, but it's still going to happen. So right. all of that is totally compatible. So yes. even a literalist description, we're not getting rid of global warming anytime soon. Well, OK, so obviously mitigating the non-hole in our ozone and global warming is only for radical atheist environmentalists. So let's let's just move beyond climate science. So how about some maybe some physics, everyone? That'd be fun. Ooh. On page 160 is the section called Thermodynamics and the Bible. First, we get this blanket statement, quote, the first and second law of thermodynamics demonstrate the agreement between science and the Bible. You don't hear enough about physics and the Bible. So I'm no, glad we're don't. being able to dip our toes into this. Yeah, this is I was really happy about, about this one. I was like, all right, cool. First law states that although matter and energy may be freely converted into one another, neither is created or destroyed. The Bible tells us that God's work of creation is complete and that the universe is being conserved. Genesis 2.1 and Nehemiah 9.6. So ignoring the fact that the creator would have to create matter and energy, we can focus on what these verses say about conservation of the universe. Oh, wait, actually, they don't really. Genesis 2.1 says, quote, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. So finished, but not necessarily conserved. Nehemiah 9.6, though, gets us a little closer to conservation of the universe. I guess. I'm not sure. But it says, quote, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them. The host of heaven worships you. So, wow, the he the heaven of heavens. That's actually pretty deep. It is. And as we learn uh, from the, no, from the book uh, Spiritual uh, Warfare uh, by Derek Prince, if I'm not mistaken, we learned that uh, the second heaven is hell. Yes. That is where Satan lives. So you got to avoid it at all costs. Right. And 
this is this book doesn't get into it because this is high school yeah. creationism. And so you got to wait till college uh, level creationism <laughs> to learn about how the ozone layer actually is the second heaven. Mm. And so we need to abolish it. Yeah. ASAP. I like that. I, so I like the idea of can not get through to the other side. Yeah, I love the idea of like not just stopping the hole, but actually getting rid of it completely. Like, let's try to put more. Yeah, we CFC. want a hole. We want, we want a hole in the ozone layer <laughs> because that's how we can fire our <laughs> prayers through. So the second law of thermodynamics states that, quote, for every process, there is an overall loss of useful energy and a tendency towards greater disorder. In other words, the universe is slowly running down. We see evidence of this law everywhere we look. Rocks and soil erode, machines wear out, and people grow old. The Bible states that the heavens and the earth are wearing out like an old garment. Psalms 102.26, Isaiah 51.6, and Hebrews 1.11-12. So you guys can all look that up yourself. So I, I actually, an old garment, I love that. It's, um, I guess this is what the scientists mean when they talk about the fabric of space and time. Am I right? Uh, no, no. Sorry about actually, that. um... No, very wrong. <laughs> okay. Very wrong. Even in that joke, not just like wrong there, but just the joke itself is incorrect to say. Yeah, Got it was, uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to consult the, the Geneva conventions, but I think, <laughs> I think that that joke might've been a crime against humanity. All right. So like all good science textbooks discussing their chapters on physics, we clearly need to bring up biology. Yeah. So the authors, <laughs> the authors write, quote, the second law of thermodynamics is the most important scientific principle showing that there had to have been an act of creation. If the universe is now running down, there must have been a time that it was wound up more than it is now. Evolutionists try to avoid the necessity of a creator by proposing that billions of years ago, a huge explosion from nowhere, the Big Bang, created the universe by chance out of nothing. All in caps. Tight. Of course. Also, I like the use of all of caps in textbooks, too. It's really nice yeah. when they just boom, yell at you with an exclamation point. Continuing with the quote, of course, we know that the universe is not the product of some spontaneous explosion, but was called into existence by the words of God himself. Which, okay, so to me, this is more like a physics sandwich. The meat is just a simple mention of evolutionary biology, a sort of thin sliced meat, if you will. And the buns are physics-based bread. So the second law of thermodynamics is one side of the bun and the Big Bang cosmology maybe is the other. So it's uh, And as we all know, the best sandwiches have really big bread <laughs> and very little meat. Right. And so, okay, so basically what the authors have done here is given us the written equivalent of the video of a drunk David Hasselhoff eating a sloppy mess of fast food, a burger. This is a mess. If you remember that video from 10 yes, years ago. <laughs> I, yeah, that was very, very sad. It's okay so because he's, I think, gotten better. But yes, yeah, good he, for was, him. Uh, he was having a rough time. Okay, so now we're up to the mutations and evolution section. Finally, the controversial exciting stuff. Yep. Very good stuff. In this section, we are introduced to the concepts of replication. Quote, the process by which DNA is copied. Immutation, quote, or random change in the DNA code, which occurs when a gene is damaged or copied incorrectly. The authors explain that, quote, God designed several mechanisms to ensure that DNA is copied correctly. Due to the curse of sin upon creation, however, these mechanisms occasionally make mistakes. I, you know, I have to say, uh, in defense of kind of the replication mechanism, they are plagued by the curse of sin upon creation. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. That's not something anybody would want to deal with. 
and yet they only occasionally make mistakes. You think it would have a bigger impact. <laughs> the curse of sin upon creation. And it just every once in a while they make a goof. You know, good for them. Good for them. So some evolutionists claim that mutations in reproductive cells could be a mechanism for evolution. They imagine that such mutations may occasionally result in an organism that is better suited to its environment than non-mutant organisms. I, I have to say, I, I also really enjoy the use of the technical term used often in various fields of biology. Non-mutant organisms, I think. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, this is. I think this is the X-Men conception of <laughs> evolution by natural selection. Quote, over billions of years, they claim such mistakes have given rise to brains, hearts, lungs, kidneys, nerves, eyes, ears, feet, hands, asses. I know I that last part. Sorry. Oh, okay. try, to, try to lighten things up here. It's getting a little uh, heavy in the technical uh, work here. Technical scientific language. Okay. And the other finely ordered structures of living things. In other words, they believe that every feature of every form of life on Earth is the result of billions of genetic mistakes. So according to an article in Scientific America, quote, biology has cataloged many traits produced by point mutations, changes at precise positions in an organism's DNA. Bacterial resistance to antibiotics, for example, mutations that arise in the Homeobox or Hox family of development regulating genes in animals can also have a complex effect. Hox genes direct where legs, wings, antennae, and body segments should grow. In fruit flies, for instance, the mutation called antennapedia causes legs to sprout where antennae should grow. These abnormal limbs are not functional, but their existence demonstrates that genetic mistakes can produce complex structures which natural selection can then test for possible uses. That's super, that's super fascinating. But I am glad that they, they clarified that the leg antenna were not functional. <laughs> I'm glad I was kind of confused. I'm like, are they like able to do kind of hand, weird handstands there? But no, they made sure to let you know. Absolutely not. These were non-functional right. leg antenna. That did not work out for that fruit fly. We again get the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy contradicts increasingly complex structures of living creatures argument we heard from earlier. Quote, as a result of the second law of thermodynamics, finely ordered structures tend to become disordered by random processes such as mistakes, not the other way around. You can illustrate this for yourself by taking a written essay and randomly scrambling letters to see if it improves the writing style. So I have <laughs> I have to say, though, a clear this is clear evidence that the authors of this book have not taught high school level writing because sometimes <laughs> I got to say, sometimes that is true. You could just scramble it up and get something better. Right. I, I love this text. I mean, it's like now it's trying to like cram in like English and, you know, it's like phonics. I mean, just shove it all in. Yeah, Get it all in here. Gotta, Every single gotta topic. Sell, gotta sell them books. <laughs> gotta sell them units. Yeah, one, one, uh, one textbook for it all to rule them all. But let's put some of that thing we call actual science into the mix here. Ugh, sorry, guys. And see what we get. So according to a scientific paper titled Evolution and the Second Law of Thermodynamics, Effectively Communicating to Non-Technicians by Alexander Schreiber and Stephen Gimbel, quote, what the second law of thermodynamics does say is that energy exchanges like currency exchanges, some with a service fee, and we pay this fee in terms of increased entropy. But the increase in entropy is only to be expected in thermally isolated systems, those in which energy is neither added nor removed. We do not live in such a system because the sun is constantly adding energy. 
We can use the sun's energy to overcome this increase in entropy, but entropy plays a role, not only in the continuance of individuals and their parts, but also in the evolutionary development of species and thereby in speciation. Advantageous mutations are ones that increase the efficiency of energy transfers within an ecosystem. When we calculate the amount of energy needed to push evolution thermodynamically uphill, it is clear that like a powerful river, the sun provides more than sufficient flow to not only turn the hydroelectric turbines of life's foundation, the primary producers, but to distribute electricity with incrementally increasing efficiency over time. So that's all... So boring. Yeah, that's all boring. <laughs> if someone tells you that the second law of thermodynamics disproves the theory of natural selection, uh, the one word response is sun. Yes. That's all you have to say. yell sun at their face. Exactly. This section ends with a devastating confession by, quote, one evolutionist who I guess is left unnamed, probably for his own protection. Yeah, he would be killed. Quote, as one evolutionist admitted, expecting mutations to improve an organism is like expecting to improve a fine watch by dropping it from a tall building onto the sidewalk. They always love their like watch analogies. Watch, watchmaker. Yeah, got to get a watch in there. Yeah, got to get a watch in there. That is the only, that is the only complex thing (laughs) human beings have ever created. We're just going to, we're going to beat that horse to death. And finally, we tie this all together, quote, once again, the faulty logic of evolutionary reasoning reinforces the only reasonable explanation for the marvelous design of living things, special creation. Wow. And on that note, that ends (laughs) the first episode in our high school creationism series. And with that, we are for listening to this episode of none dare call it ordinary if you would also like to hear our weekly bonus episodes just become a five dollar a month patron over at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary that is also where you'll find any blog posts pictures and news updates to go along with our regular series and you don't even have to be a patron to get access to all that fun stuff you can also reach us by email at none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com Lastly, we ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served.